Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition Diva podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagel, and today I want to talk about why nothing matters. Most nutrition research studies are designed to see what will happen if we change something. What happens to muscle synthesis if we add more protein to the diet? What happens to cholesterol levels if we increase vitamin E intake? What happens to blood sugar levels if we decrease carbohydrate intake? Or what happens to our immune function if we add more vitamin D? Well, sometimes, of course, we run these experiments and nothing happens. And we often refer to that as a null result. Now, it's easy to see that as a failed experiment, but actually it's not. Joining me today to talk about null results is Greg Lopez. Greg is the lead scientific editor at examine.com, where he and his team collect, assess, and summarize a staggering amount of nutrition research. Welcome back to the podcast, Greg. Thanks for having me back. Greg, I find the work that you do at examine.com extraordinarily helpful, and it's one of my go-to resources. And not long ago, I noticed that you added a new section to the Nutrition Examination Research Digest, affectionately known to us as NERD. And this section is dedicated to reporting null results or research where nothing happens. Why did you feel that this was important to shine a light on? Well, I think the first reason to shine a light on it is just to bring more attention to null results more generally. A lot of people and a lot of buzz on social media and stuff in the world of nutrition focuses on what is happening, what people are seeing, uh, what effects are. And what we want to do is just kind of bring attention to the idea that null results are out there. And also we wanted to help people more subtly learn how to interpret these because they are a bit tricky. Our nerd nulls are uh, just basic bullet point summaries of null results, but we have a final bullet point that asks how null the result was. And that's where some of our interpretation comes in. And by repeating that and having readers repeatedly read it, we hope that people will subtly over time learn how to interpret study results more broadly and null results more specifically better as they read more. Plus, there's the idea that at the end of the day, people are turning to us in order to find out what works and what doesn't. And if there are strong null results, which sometimes there are and sometimes they're not, then people can rule out things that they want to introduce into their lives so that they don't waste their time and money on ineffective nutrition and supplementation. 
Well, that's right. I mean, we do tend to get more excited when we see that um, there is an effect, but it's just as important to know what doesn't work as it is to know what does work. You know, you mentioned the value that this might have for consumers who are trying to decide, should I do this? Should I not do this? But I would think that also for researchers, it would be important to look around for what research might have been done and what null results might have come forward um, so that they can focus their attention a little bit more effectively. Exactly. It's a big deal for a few reasons for researchers as well. One of the big problems is that when you have a whole bunch of small studies like you see in nutrition and supplementation, you may get quote-unquote null results because they're tiny and can't see medium to small size effects. But if you mm. pull all these results together in a, a way called a meta-analysis, you can actually kind of treat it as one big pool of people and then you get to see more subtle effects more clearly. But there's a problem in that if only positive results are published, then you're getting a biased snapshot of what the literature is actually saying. So meta-analytic conclusions can't be as relied upon if there's strong publication bias. Plus, there's a lot of interesting hypotheses that are being tested in nutrition and supplementation. And ruling out those hypotheses can actually push basic research and translational research forward a bit. So ruling out ideas is how science works. If you already knew what the result was going to be, then you wouldn't need to do the experiment. Exactly. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So you mentioned publication bias, and that means that, as you said, results that have a positive finding or that they notice an effect are more likely to end up published. They're also, of course, much more likely to end up publicized because they're more attention getting in the media. Why is it that journals, research journals, are less interested in publishing these null results? Because as you say, you know, not publishing them really gives us a skewed idea of what we know. Right. It's hard to say at the end of the day because it requires some insight into people's in internal psychology that I don't have. But it seems to me that at the end of the day, results that are null are simply, they could be seen as failures and they're not necessarily interesting or could be a waste of research dollars. And I've I won't point out specific examples, but I actually have seen while researching stuff for NERD, 
that some people also remix results where they publish something which was pre-registered with a certain idea, um, got seemed to get a negative results and then republish it focusing on what they did find and don't even mention the fact that it was originally, they had a different hypothesis that was nullified. So at the end of the day, I think that it probably is a mix of prestige and bringing in the research dollars to make sure that you can show steady Mm. scientific progress by publishing positive findings. But it's hard to say at the end of the day. Yeah, well, you know what, I think that's interesting that we use that term negative results and null results interchangeably. And I'm not sure that's actually completely accurate, right? A null result just shows positively, that <laughs> that an intervention did not have a significant effect. Well, that's not a negative result, right? Right. It is. A, I guess it is a strike against your hypothesis if you're testing it. But the null hypothesis doesn't necessarily mean nothing. You can set it to be whatever you want it to be. So for instance, if you have a control group and a dietary group, say, and you're looking at weight loss, um, the dietary group can lose two kilograms over the course of a month, and the intervention group can lose two gil- kilograms over the course of a month. That is a that could be a null result in a sense because there is no difference, even though both groups lost two kilograms at the end of the day. It's just there's no difference between the control and the experiment. You could even look at individual um, groups, just like maybe you didn't have a control. Maybe you just want to observe people on a specific diet and their weight loss over time. You can actually, um, in your null hypothesis, state um, how much would matter to you. And if you don't reach that threshold, call that no different. So if you say just a kilogram of weight loss over a month is not clinically significant to you, that could be embedded into your null hypothesis. So a subtle but side point is that null hypotheses don't necessarily mean nothing. I translated a little more as no difference. And what no difference means is embedded in what the null hypothesis is. Right. And as you mentioned a little bit earlier, we are supposed to be setting out those ground rules, what we're looking for, what we're going to consider to be significant, what we're measuring at the beginning of the study. Uh, and then sometimes people go back and and uh, tweak those retrospectively to make their results a little bit more interesting. And that's kind of breaking the rules, right? A little bit. I have a strong respect for exploratory research. And if all researchers start out saying, we don't know what's going on, we're going to test a whole bunch of things with this intervention and see what little signals we find. And if they're upfront about it, then explore away. I think that is great. The, but the problem that I see is that a lot of people treat exploratory research as confirmatory. They think that it's going to confirm a specific hypothesis that they're doing, and that is harder to do when you test a whole bunch of hypotheses, especially with small samples. Exactly. Well, that brings up an interesting question. You know, when we see an initial small study that gets a positive result, the next thing we always say is, okay, this was one small study. We need more research to replicate this result before we can really have a lot of confidence in it. Should null results also be replicated? Yes, uh, for quite for a couple of reasons um, that we've already mentioned. First of all, especially in small studies, it is hard to see a signal. And so if you get no result once, replication can help confirm it. A whole bunch of null results over time in a whole bunch of small studies, as long as they're all similar enough to each other, can actually provide more and more evidence that maybe there's not much going on there. And also there was an interesting example I recently came across um, when I was taking a look at vitamin D supplementation and its effect on um, death from colorectal cancer, there was a meta-analysis that took five studies, four of which 
found no effect on colorectal cancer mortality, and one did. And if you're doing some, something simple, like um, what's co- colloquially called vote counting, you could say, well, four studies came up null, and one study came up positive. So it probably doesn't work. But if you use that mathematical technique of meta-analysis that I mentioned previously, you can actually shrink the error. And when you put all of those together, you have, there was actually an effect found that vitamin D supplementation did reduce death from colorectal cancer. And so four null results in there still gave enough information to give that signal when you combine them together. And that's a second reason why it could be useful. So as you said, you know, it should be just as big a priority to replicate those null results as it is to replicate positive results. But I can imagine it must be hard to drum up a lot of enthusiasm, much less research dollars, to repeat a study that essentially found no effect. That must be hard to do. For instance, there was a recent trial of a pharmaceutical grade omega-3 fatty acid that came up negative. And those things are huge very long in time and very right. expensive. So right. to ask a to ask a pharmaceutical company to, hey, can you repeat it with a different control this time? Sure, <laughs> just give me a few billion dollars. Sure. Um, at the end of the day, I completely understand that there's not unlimited resources and people have to make choices. Absolutely. I want to circle back just a minute to talk a little bit more about why null results can be tricky to interpret. Can you just talk about that a little bit more Sure. So there's a lot going into interpreting whether a result is really quote unquote null or not. There was a nerd null I think we published in late 2020 about secondary a secondary analysis of the vital trial, which is a big, strong trial that took a look at um, vitamin D supplementation and omega-3 supplementation. And they said they found that there was no effect on depression, but the population was mostly vitamin D sufficient. And so you could say, sure, vitamin D may not help um, people who have enough of it already, but what if they were deficient in vitamin D? Well, then the results don't apply. So you just can't say this very big, strong trial showed no effect, therefore there's no effect, full stop. Instead, you have to take a look at the population, which gets into subtleties. There's also possible methodological issues. So um, there's another one we reported in Nerd Nulls about reducing entree portion size and seeing whether if you shrink uh, lunch by 25%, whether people will eat more dessert at will or less dessert or the same amount of dessert after they ate the entree. And this came up with a null result. And their conclusion was that entree portion size does not affect dessert intake. But They used a specific kind of test meal that was low in protein, and they also had a highly palatable dessert. And so the question is, okay, maybe in these circumstances, entree portion size didn't affect dessert intake, Does it? but does that apply to all entrees with different uh, macro distributions and all desserts? And during all times of day, this is also a fixed time of day. So null results in one particular circumstance may not generalize to other circumstances. And that's something to take into account too. So in short, there's statistical issues and reporting issues. And there's also population and methodological issues, which all have to be taken into account to see how null something actually is. Well, and of course, this is why I come to examine.com so that you guys can do all of that heavy lifting for me. But, you know, as I listen to you give these great examples, It just brings home, you know, the fault is not necessarily in the research design, 
that designed, you know, this meal to be given at one time of day and this type of meal and this type of dessert. It's just the obligation of those of us who are reading and translating and reporting that research to make sure that we supply that context around the conclusions. So exactly as you just illustrated, we're not overgeneralizing a result, whether it's a positive result or a null result. That context is so important in understanding whether or not a given study applies to us, for example. I completely agree. And yeah, it's totally not the fault of the researchers to have a limited scope. And sometimes limited scope is extremely important. If you want to see specific um, metabolic differences, for instance, in like ketogenic versus high carbohydrate diets, then you put people in this super artificial condition in a metabolic chamber and measure their food precisely. That is not the real world, but you have to have that strict control to see exactly what's going on and see any small differences that you can see. So all of these kinds of methods have their place and all of us have a responsibility in order to make sure that they're interpreted properly. Authors do sometimes play a role in selling their results a little more strongly than the data suggests. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they don't. Then there's also media who can over-report things, and sometimes they don't. And then there's people who read the results and popularizations of the results, and we don't necessarily take it with as skeptical an eye or as detailed an eye as we could. And so at the end of the day, everybody can be the change they want to see in the world and just respect that there's a lot of hard work that goes into a lot of these studies. And there's also real world limitations that have to be taken into account. There's not unlimited resources. And all of us can just do our best to make the strongest and clearest inferences we can that are still based on the evidence. Absolutely. We just need to keep fighting the good fight, right? <laughs> yep, and 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 as and consumers can also just keep a skeptical eye. So it's partly our role to try to translate research and call things out when we see it, but also we're hoping to educate people so a little bit so that they can get their own information and come to their own strong conclusions. I couldn't agree more. And I so appreciate the work that you do at Examine. And listeners can learn more about that work by going to examine.com. And you can also check out the entire archive of Nutrition Diva episodes, which in most cases include complete transcripts at quickanddirtytips.com. For example, you'll find episode number 587, where Greg and I unpacked the results of a meta-analysis looking at slow versus fast weight loss. That was fun. It was. Thanks again for joining me, Greg. We look forward to having you again in the future. Thank you for having me on. And you'll find me at nutritionovereasy.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and learn more about workshops and coaching programs that I offer. In next week's podcast, I'll have a look at which vitamin supplements are worth your money. Don't miss that. The Nutrition Diva podcast is written by me, Monica Reinagle, edited by Karen Hertzberg. Our producer is Nathan Sams. Our team at McMillan Audio also includes Morgan Ratner, Michelle Margulis, Emily Miller, our intern, Claire Freeman, and our director, Kathy Doyle. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com.